0: This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by VeriSign. Enter the Make Your Idea Internet Official Contest. Register a new .com domain name with the participating registrar during the contest entry period and enter for an opportunity to win up to $35,000. Learn more about the contest and its rules at verisigncontest.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Mark Roberge. He is the Chief Revenue Officer at HubSpot, and inbound sales division, and he is also the author of a new book called The Sales Acceleration Formula, Using Data, Technology, and Inbound Selling to Go from Zero to 100 Million. So Mark, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks, John. I appreciate being here.
0: Hey, I wanted to point out one of the things that I read um, in preparing for this show. You are uh, actually donating uh, the proceeds of this book to a nonprofit. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Build Boston, great group. Uh, they're actually nationally. We're going to focus on the, the Boston chapter. Um, you know, they, they really focus on troubled teens um, who maybe didn't grow up in the best neighborhoods or best uh homes and schools, and rather than trying to get them involved in sports or other things, they try to get involved in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, so they they incubate a, a startup idea, and it's been sort of a passion of mine since I was a youth, and uh, I, I really hit home with me when I found out about the organization a few years ago.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome, too, because obviously you are in an entrepreneurial environment there at HubSpot, and so I always think it's great when you can link things to uh, your passions. Obviously, there's a lot of Organizations deserving of all of our help, but I think it's a lot of fun when you can link something to uh, something you're really passionate about. Absolutely. So um, I have to sometimes dig into the the titles and subtitles. Um, So who went from zero to 100 million? HubSpot. Yeah. So you, yeah. The, I, I knew that, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but listeners may not have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so you, so maybe set the table a little bit on that. You you walk in, you're a hotshot uh, sales guy they just hired, and and uh, and uh, they said, oh, by the way, we don't have any business.
1: Far from it. But <laughs> yeah. So the table was more. I was a geek and entrepreneur. I had uh, a geek at MIT with a couple other geeks, and we met each other. Um, so that was really the the setting was we were. Uh, you know, classmates at, at MIT, the two co-founders, Darmesh and Brian, essentially had done a thesis on uh, how buying patterns have changed by consumers due to the Internet and how so many organizations' sales and marketing tactics weren't working anymore and were outdated. Uh, so we, they sort of framed that concept as inbound marketing. I was fortunate to meet the guys and got involved when we were all doing sort of our own things and got involved part-time. We uh, were incubating the company, and at, at some point when we were sort of three or four guys in a garage, they, they got wind of a Series A and said, why don't you jump in here and try to build a sales team? Um, so uh, that, uh, that was an interesting uh, challenge for me. Um, I'd never really formally worked in sales before, never carried a quota. Um, I, I'm an engineer. I, I started my career writing code. Um, I, you know, I've, I've got a degree from MIT. I, I, I sort of had a professional perspective and lens uh, through data and quant and science, and uh, it was that lens that I attempted to apply to, uh, you know, building a sales team. Uh, so that's how we got started, um, you know, six, seven years into that journey. I'd also been provided or given sales and uh, given services and support, and I grew in those organizations to about 450 people and got the company at that time a little north of $90 million and, uh, you know, now we've, we've crossed that $100 million barrier.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, um, and, and I'm sure that, uh, um, you know, some sales managers or sales folks out there listening might be challenged by this uh, uh, comment. But do you think that the fact that you didn't have that experience uh, actually turned into an advantage?
1: It, it probably did, you know, and that's what a lot of outsiders who've kind of watched this journey happen over the last few decades are really intrigued about and claim it did is, um, and that certainly wasn't my, my intention was to go out and try to do something really different. I mean, to be quite frank, I had two young babies and uh, a wife at home and a new mortgage, and I'm just, <laughs> just trying to survive. And, and when I go into survival mode, quant and silence and predictability is, <laughs> is sort of my fallback. Um, so I think I got a little lucky in the sense that. Um, this has been my nature and my background and a little bit of my gift, I guess, uh, through my life. And uh, the timing was right uh, for me to fall into a sales uh, leadership role as more organizations are moving inside. Um, there's a lot more, uh, you know, with, with SaaS and cloud computing, and there's there's sort of a lot more emphasis on our opportunity around data and, and process and the use of technology and that those, uh, those concepts really hit home with my, my areas of expertise.
0: Well, and I think as you've also described or, or started talking about, I mean it's, it's dramatically changed the way people buy. And so consequently, mm-hmm. if if salespeople aren't shifting the way they sell, uh, cl- I, clearly we're going to have a mismatch here. And, and one of the things you talk about and I wrote about extensively in my last book is that you know for salespeople to survive today, they have to change – I think they have to change the context or, or even the way they're seen – you know, as, as part of the process and that, uh, you know, we don't need them to show up and share information anymore. We, we need salespeople that add value and that, uh, that add insight. And so I think that, that idea of focus on, you know, data is probably one of the best ways in which you can do that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think you are, you're definitely an early thought leader here, John, and in, uh, the, the change, I always get excited when this type of change is driven by buyer behavior, because right. those types of change tend to be uh, more powerful and more permanent, and I think that's what we're dealing with here, is the internet has empowered the buyer. Um, they no longer have to you know receive cold calls, they don't have to listen to advertisements, they don't go to trade shows anymore, they don't have to deal with salespeople anymore. All the data they want to make a purchase is at their fingertips, and Sometimes they can even make the purchase right online. Right. <laughs> you know, so the, it begs the question, why do we even need salespeople? And I think you're exactly right. Is The world of sales has evolved far beyond that attractive individual who belonged to the yacht club or the, or the golf course <laughs> uh, who can you know, pour a good glass of wine and, uh, and basically leverage the fact that they hold data that the consumer doesn't have and use it to their advantage and has evolved to a much more sophisticated uh, individual that can add value above and beyond the generic messaging that's on the website. Um, And, you know, what I like to say is their job is to kind of translate that generic messaging, understand the unique needs and goals of that buyer, and help to customize that story so the buyer can make, you know, a better purchase or have a better understanding of, of the options ahead of them.
0: Yeah, and I and I think that it is awfully tempting for some people to say, "Well, we don't need salespeople anymore." But I think what's happening, what you see happening, is the fact that we have access to all this data um, sometimes doesn't necessarily make us a more informed buyer. In fact, um, the the people that I think are really killing it today are helping people understand and make sense out of all of it because it's still buying some, you know, some. I mean, we're not talking about a twenty nine dollar widget here, maybe, but 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 getting a solution. Or buying a product that is going to be something that has to be installed in you know hundreds of desktops, or you know uh, get get you know engagement from you know the entire team. I mean, um, sometimes we're we're still talking about very complex buying decisions, and I think the people that are really doing well today are the ones that are that realize okay, you have access to this information. My job is to actually uh, help you understand uh, how it can be beneficial.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's data overload, right? Like twenty, thirty years ago, it's like, how can I get to the data? Now it's like, how do I make sense of it? Exactly. Right. I mean, on any product you buy, you could probably go online, and especially in social media, and find thousands of reviews, even for like a a, a not well-known B two B product. Yeah. You know. So you just don't have time to sift through that, especially when you're looking at ten different solutions. So yeah. I completely agree with you. Is um, you know the best salespeople out there can really really take a step back and understand the true needs and uniqueness of this particular prospect and then help them sift through all this data and tell a story that really resonates with their challenges.
0: One of the things I've been uh, preaching is the need for salespeople to get involved in the customer journey at a much earlier point, regardless of what their sales manager is saying or maybe even their marketing department is saying. Sorry. Um, but, uh, um, uh, you know, how do you do that? Uh, because, I, you know, again, if people are going out there doing the research themselves and then saying, OK, I know what I'm going to buy, you know, how do you get yourself in front of them before they ha- have made that conclusion?
1: Yeah, I don't, you just don't go in for the kill too early. Right. And I think that that's what a lot of, of sales instincts are. You know, I get a ton of cold calls still. And to this day, the cold call is an elevator pitch with a call to action to watch a demo. I mean, that's inning number seven of a nine-inning game, yeah. right? And, and someone in the early stages that you're talking about here, John, is in inning number one or two. Right. So there's a huge opportunity for salespeople to, you know, not, not quite go in for the kill early on, but align their early tactics with the educational stage of the buying journey. So rather than going with the product elevator pitch with the call to action being a, uh, you know, a, a, a demo, yeah. Perhaps they can reference an interesting study that was just produced on benchmarks that are happening in the prospects industry, that just so happen to be around the topics of the value prop that you have with your business, and maybe kind of pinpoint a few interesting stats that that uh, you know are, are unique to their business. Maybe there was a recent challenge they went through a press release, or maybe it's it's unique to the person's role that you're actually calling on, and make the call to action. Um, a chance to sit down and review the report or maybe a chance to bring in one of the internal consultants or experts that you have for a, a free thirty minute consultation you know i think these are the opportunities that uh, salespeople, uh, you know, can leverage to get involved earlier.
0: Yeah, and I and I think what a lot of people do is they think that that buyers are sitting around asking, you know, how can your product solve my problem? Well, they're not even close to asking that question most of the time. Yeah, in any exactly. one and two, they're inning they're they're asking, you know, how can I grow my business? You know, how can I keep up with my competitors? I mean, your your product or service may ultimately address those, but I think unless you are, as you as you referenced, unless you are providing that information and, and trends in the industry and things like that 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 really uh, start to provide useful information before I've even come to the conclusion that what you're doing, you know, will have any value to me. I mean, to me, that's, that's you know, job number one. That's right. I agree. So um, what tools uh, do you – again, a lot of the uh, – in the book, um, you – reference tools and science uh, quite often you know, for getting, uh, you know, personalizing that information. And, and, you know, I always think it's a crime when um, I get a cold call, and somebody will, and, and the cold call will, they'll actually be brave enough to leave this in a voice message that uh, says something like, I don't really know what you guys do down there, but I'd love to come down and, and uh, um, you know, learn a little more about, you know, what you do. And I just think, man, if you don't know what I had for lunch, you're not paying <laughs> exactly. attention, you know, let, exactly. let alone what my business does. And and I think that uh, um, that to me is one of the, the, the gifts uh, to the, the world of selling.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the, uh, you're kind of flirting with the, what I classify as the concept of social selling, which yeah. unfortunately this this term's been a little overhyped and misunderstood. Um, I think social selling uh, unfolds two huge opportunities for salespeople. One, which you're addressing here, which is to really dig into context. And the second, as an opportunity to build up a personal brand and authority within your space on prospects. So, uh, social selling is, is misunderstood as <laughs> A, a way to reach decision-makers by not cold-calling anymore, but simply DMing them or sending them yeah. random in yeah. on LinkedIn, and that's far from what it should be. But, you know, it, it really is an opportunity to understand the context of these prospects um, that you're calling on to so you can customize and personalize that opening message, uh, you know, much more effectively. So there's a whole bunch of tools out there, I think, if I were evaluating them. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to leverage tools that can bring together um, all of the different ways that someone can engage with me into one cohesive story and put that at the forefront and fingertips of a salesperson's yeah. day. You know, Whether it's on their mobile device or on their, in their CRM or on the website that they're visiting so that it's easy for them to understand the full context and incorporate it into their tactics. So the different channels I'm talking about here, obviously, is, you know, these prospects, people at these, the Prospects company are visiting your website, they're downloading eBooks. they're reading your blog, they're following you on social media, they're tweeting keywords that, you know, might be related to your business, um, uh, they're talking to your support team, they might be, might be in a free trial. There aren't a lot of organizations that have all that engagement aggregated into one spot. And if that's not the case, it's a lost opportunity. For you to, to fully understand this, this, uh, this uh, company's context and how they've engaged with you.
0: Yeah, and I think that, I, I think particularly the, the, the website, you know, uh, so many organizations are still holding on to that data and when a lead scores high enough theoretically, then they throw them over the sales team. And I think that, you know, having that, getting involved in the customer journey at a much earlier point means understanding behavior at a much earlier point.
1: Yeah, I think lead scoring, it's a powerful concept, but it's often misutilized. Uh, yeah. um, you know, I think often people will say, well, when the lead score gets to 70, that's when we pass it to sales. Right. And <laughs> there's a lot of problems with that approach. I mean, first off, they tend to add more and more and more stuff to the lead score. And now it's really hard to understand all the different permutations that get someone to a 70. And yeah. and you can end up with a an intern that downloaded 15... Ebooks off the website from a small business last night, and that goes to sales because of that activity. And then you got a VP of marketing from a Fortune 500 company that just looked at two things on your site and never gets a phone call.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And that's, so you just have to be a little careful. Um, the other thing that happens too is um, sometimes the lead scoring can um, uh, overshadow the persona of the lead. And what I like to think about. Instead of a lead score, is more of a, a buyer persona and bicycle stage matrix where I sort of appreciate the different types of businesses that I do business with. There are some that are just like, you know, maybe I do business with Fortune 500 companies and God forbid an executive from one of those companies visits my website, they better get a phone call within the next hour um, versus I may also do business with SMBs. And, you know, I'm obviously going to have a much higher bar um, of engagement before I call them. If an SMB visits my website, I'm certainly, I feel a little less pressure to call them within an hour than I do an executive from a Fortune 500 company. Uh, In fact, I may want to nurture them all the way down to attending some sort of group demonstration of the product um, before I actually engage with them. So I just think um, lead scoring is powerful. It needs to be used correctly. It's often utilize the wrong way um, and maybe rethink it by starting with uh, the different buyer personas you have and the different engagement cycles that they go through and where you want to engage with each persona.
0: And you're, you're being very nice and uh, not, um, you know, mentioning, but, but obviously HubSpot, some of what you're talking about, HubSpot actually uh, can allow people to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's been the fun thing about, you know, being part of this journey is um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to build a sales team and a marketing team Um, Around these advanced concepts and at the same time we're building a product (laughs) to support all this So that's what we've had great success over over the last eight years is is being the market leader in bringing all this stuff together uh, So companies can actually achieve this vision of of really being able to create a customized personalized experience for their buyers and a much shorter sales cycle for their salespeople So
0: um, I'll ask uh, this is probably two questions But I'll ask as one as I've gone out there and spoken to a lot of sales folks, you know immediately you know, I'm telling them a lot of the same things I think that you are in terms of the, the new way to sell. Uh, immediately, they come up to me and say, okay, I've got two problems. They both start with C, content and culture. <laughs> um, we need content. We know that if we're going to be found, I mean, you're you're telling us, you know, we need to be blogging or we need to be producing content. And then the second issue, of course, uh, is that the culture of in many sales organizations still is, hey, here's your <laughs> – here's your prospects, go out and close a few deals. And that's what your job is, is to make calls and close deals. And I don't want you to spend any time on social media or or blogging, heaven forbid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. um, Get the same question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a couple couple of tips there. Um, The first off is I think when people hear these thoughts, they shake their head yes. They get inspired. But for some reason, they put the onus on the wrong people behind a lot of the the kind of fuel that runs this engine. Um, and what I mean by that is they know they've made set goals like, hey, let's start blogging twice a week or let's start, you know, having 10 social media messages a week or something like that. And they leave it up to the president or the CEO or the CMO or the sales team or the engineering team to do it. And it's that's that's the wrong solution those folks are already working 60-70 hours a week they're busy they probably aren't even good writers um you know it's just it's a flawed solution but yet at the same time we hire people to cold call for us we hire people Mm -hmm. to set up trade show booths for us we hire people to run paid advertising campaigns for us so that's the first opportunity is your job as an executive is to set up a content production process that doesn't rely on the already busy people who aren't actually very good at writing but instead go out and find a journalistic arm within your business yep. right and the great thing for you bad thing for journalists is that industry is not, not exactly on fire right now right. uh... Um, newspapers magazines they're they're sort of a dying industry and what that leaves is extraordinarily talented people out there that are scratching their head trying to figure out how they're going to redefine their career yeah. and no one including themselves realizes that they they hold the keys to the future of sales and marketing. So that's the big opportunity for you to take advantage of is go out, hire one of these people full time, um, take advantage of the freelance market if you'd like. This is an industry that works on fifty bucks an article, hundred dollars an article, dollar a word, whatever. Go go down to a local university and find a twenty year old at a top school in your area to come by every Friday as an internship for fifteen bucks an hour. Yeah. And and then once you have them, team them up with the, the, your thought leadership community, team them up with your salespeople. team them up with you as the CEO, team them up with your engineering team. But it's more of like an hour interview, just sitting down for a cup of coffee and let the journalists do their job of pulling that together into the five-page e-book, the four blog articles, the 12 tweets. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's the... That's the uh, the big opportunity I think that folks have.
0: Well, and I think you know what's so funny I've I've used that approach for years as well, and you know companies all the time. Engineers won't write a word, but ask them a question and they won't shut up. Uh, <laughs> I know, exactly. so, so I mean, it's like, oh, okay, they you know now now I'm getting you know 500 words a minute. Um, so yeah, that uh, great great approach. Now you um, in, in your role um, have hired a lot of salespeople. Um, do yeah. you find that as a sales manager that You know, maybe, or or maybe you learned over the years uh, in in doing that that it required maybe a different skill set than what people maybe typically looked for in a salesperson.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. You mean this this new way of of yeah. I mean, so
0: so you know, the typical person that's gone out there and done you know bag carrying, you know, quota crushing, (laughs) um, you know, whatever we want to call it. I mean, is now would you tell people you need to be looking for something different?
1: Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the, the whole sales hiring piece, I mean, that's the whole first part of the, the book. It's so critical to successful um, sales scaling. You know, I mean, it's, if you're going to do awesome at one thing and mediocre at everything else, that, that's the one thing I'd pick uh, is to just really crush your hiring. And um, it's funny, first of all, how folks who aren't hiring dozens of people a year, Uh, are not that sophisticated in their approach to to hiring salespeople. I think oftentimes they sort of gravitate to whether the person has experience with their buyer or whether the person has experience in their industry. And I think that's a big mistake uh, because oftentimes they lean too heavily into that part of the assessment and not the stuff that really matters, you know, like how coachable and curious and uh, intelligent and, uh, you know, empathetic these, these individuals are. Um, so, what I've found over the years is um, um, the, who the right salesperson is for you is highly contextual to your business. Um, you know, one, one of the early hires I made here at HubSpot actually came from a big public company with 800 people and had ranked number one in the prior year of those 800 folks. And I was really uh, excited that I was able to get them over here, and yet they didn't crush it. And that's really where I, I learned that, wow, the environment they came from uh, was, a, was a brand that everybody knew. It was a, a five-second elevator pitch. It was a 20-minute a, a sale, if that. Uh, which was the exact opposite of how the sales contacts worked at HubSpot yeah. at the time. Yeah, and really
0: com- complicated process that
1: nobody realized they needed, that they'd never heard of. <laughs> totally, poor evangelistic sound. You could imagine just from that simple example of two different types of people who sure. would succeed in one environment but not the other. So, that's sort of my first con- conclusion. There was, wow, you know, asking someone who what they look for in a sales hire is almost a re- an irrelevant question yeah. um, because the context so different. Now I do believe that there's a way to sort of learn and understand, and that's really the process I built was went out and, and took the 10 criteria that I thought would correlate with success in our environment, uh, I, I defined what each one was, I defined what a score of a 1, 5, 7, and 10 would be, and was disciplined about scoring every single candidate and every hire against that criteria. And, you know, having only made four hires in the first few months, it was interesting even at that small level to be able to go back and reflect and, and understand what was starting to correlate and what didn't matter and what we were missing. And it wasn't long before I actually could really geek out and, and had enough hires my, under my belt to do a regression analysis <laughs> on those scores and, and literally engineer <laughs> um, our, our, our ideal criteria. And that's where I think it gets really intriguing with, with your specific question was the, the criteria that are typically associated with a good salesperson, like objection handling and great closer and aggressive, had negative correlations <laughs> to success. And, and the criteria that uh, are typically associated with a good coach or advisor, like coachability and curiosity and intelligence, had the strongest correlations. Um, so I, I thought that was a cool outcome. That it was almost like a statistical representation that um, you know that the, the modern buyer is demanding a much different type yeah. of salesperson yeah. to work with.
0: Yeah, that, you know it's counterintuitive, I suppose, but it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, um, quite frankly, and particularly the 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 more complex, you know, the more that you have to do consulting and educating, I, I think even more so. Absolutely. Well, Mark, um, it was great catching up with you. The sales acceleration formula, depending upon when you're listening to this, uh, is out February 24th, 2015. I highly recommend And What's so great is that if you're a sales manager, if you're a business owner, if you're going to hire a salesperson, if you are a salesperson, I think there are so many tremendous uh, pieces of information in there for really all of those audiences. So, any um, anywhere you want to send folks, uh, that uh, obviously they can buy the book uh, anywhere books are sold. But uh, are you doing any any kind of special content anywhere, or?
1: I'm um, just doing a bunch of virtual events like this. You know, yeah. trying to keep uh, true with our mission. At HubSpot is just you know this new age way of content. Um, we'll do some pieces in, in Harvard Business Review and a lot of other publications, but. It'll be available for purchase at the typical places, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. And really appreciate uh, the time to chat, John.
0: Well, no, it was great, great having you. And uh, we'll we'll probably, if if not before, we'll probably see you at Inbound. That'd be great. Take
1: care, man.